Welcome to the Comics Corner, everyone. Um, I am John, your host, and today we have with us um, our favorite guest ever, Andrea. Hello. Hello. Thank you again for having me back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us again. And then uh, we have two special guests today. Um, not my favorites, but close. Um, we for have... Sure. <laughs> we have Matthew Klein. Hello, everybody. So wonderful to be back on the Comics Corner. <laughs> and then we have joining us, I'm very excited for this. This one is like my favorite. Like if Andrea is my favorite one, then Josh is my favorite 1.1. I'll, ta I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> you know, so what, welcome, what Josh. Right. What a beat. Yes. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I know it's it's a very hot and steamy day, no matter where we are in the country, and we're sort of all over the place. So thank you for joining us. Um, today, uh, so first of all, I want to apologize. Since the last time that we got together, there has been some news in the comics world that has made me very upset and angry. So I'm, I'm, a, little, um, I'm a little out of control today. So I just want to apologize to everyone. First, Marvel decided to kill the Scarlet Witch. Um, which, of course, I'm sure will actually mean we'll get a lovely storyline about her development and not at all about how it affects all of the men in her life. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, uh, exactly. that's how it will That's exactly part for the course. You're like an oracle. Yeah. How'd you know? Yeah. Um, and then the second thing is the queer baiting of Tim Drake, uh, which has apparently set half of the people on the internet in a tizzy. Um, because it mildly appeared that Tim Drake went out on a date with a dude, but um, nothing was specifically said. So DC can back out at any time. And um, we all know how um, I, as a gay man, love that. Thanks so much, DC. Thank you. Um, so apologize for that anger and sarcasm. These opinions expressed are my own opinions and not the opinions of any of my employers or of uh, April is the Cruelest Month podcast. That covers us, right, Matthew? It, it does. I'm, sure. I'm just, listen, it's your comics corner, John. You're literally, it's John's comics corner. If you want to vent about DC's <laughs> complete, you know, lack of commitment to pushing um, potential, you know, queer relationships and characters, go for it. I'll hang out for an hour. I'm here for it, honestly. Like, I'll, I'll, just, I'll let you know. We don't even have to. We don't even have to record it. I'll pause it. We can start again. Like it's fine. I, I no, just no, feel no. like let's have a record. Let's have ah, a record. Okay. Okay. Let's yeah. Definitely. I'm fine with it. I feel like at one point there's going to be a comics corner that's literally just me bitching for an hour. I'm comfortable with that, but I feel like we're we getting to that. that. We did that with the Scarlet Witch episode. That okay. was you bitching about House of M for about an hour. Yeah. Okay. I brought up some very valid and salient points. You did. There you we go. You are very valid and very salient. This is there very good. 
Um, today, however, uh, so this episode will be released just after um, the uh, Suicide Squad 2. I think I'm supposed to just call it The Suicide Squad as opposed to the first one, which was Suicide Squad. Um, and um, strangely enough, we are actually not going to talk about Suicide Squad. We're going to talk about a book which I think is actually more interesting, which is called The Secret Six by Gail Simone. Um, uh, with art by Nicholas Scott. So this is what we chose to talk about. Full disclosure, I did not make it all the way through the first Suicide Squad movie. I watched about 15 minutes and then thought, um, I should probably do my laundry. And I went to do my laundry. Um, I am, however, looking forward to Suicide Squad 2, only because I seem to have some very odd crush on David Dashmalian, who's playing the polka dot man. Not sure where that comes from. Um, but let's talk about uh, The Secret Six, shall we? Um, sure. Let's, uh, you know what? We normally do our history first, but let's do a little history later on. Um, first thing we want to do is say, spoiler alert, in full effect. Whoop, full whoop, effect. Whoop, whoop. That's um, so I don't have to put a sound effect in later. <laughs> excellent. There really is no way to talk about this book and not spoil it. Um, that being said, it's still definitely worth it. So uh, let's start with you, Andrea. This is a little different than anything that we have ever kind of read before, I feel like. Totally. Yeah. Um, yes, this is a very interesting read. Uh, Josh and I read it almost simultaneously and texting each other the entire time. Yes, this is true. Yes. Um, and Josh, you normally are more of a, I don't want to say thinky, because that's not the right word for it, because there's some pretty heady stuff in this book. Um, but you're normally less action oriented. This is true. How did you feel? Uh, How did you feel about reading The Secret Six? Uh, I really liked it because there is some like, oh, who who's the best? I was clinging dearly onto who is Junior, like who, who, whomst. And then uh, I do thoroughly enjoy a good fight against Batman that made, to me, about as little sense as humanly possible, uh, where I was just like, is this, is this just so you can fight Batman and then scream morals at each other, even though it's Batman? Yeah, Batman's kind of, uh, Batman's he, kind of a dick. He was there. Yeah. yeah. He was there. Uh, now, Matthew. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, Josh, no, go ahead. That, that was it. I was going to keep riffing. Unless you have okay. Something. I was going to say, now, Matthew, did you read this in single issues or did you read this as collection? That's a fine question. I believe I read this as, I think I started with like the first collection, then I was caught up to single issues by the end of it, um, is, is how I recall this. Yeah. So. Okay. I now though I never collected it in single issues, and I found pretty much all of them in a back issue bin at October Country Comics out in New Paltz. Shout out to them uh, before the pandemic hit, and packed all of them up for like twenty bucks. He gave me a great deal, which I oh, very remember. nice, very nice. Um, so I. I read this book in single issues. Gail Simone is one of my favorite writers. Nicholas Scott is one of my favorite artists. Um, and I absolutely love this book. Um, it, I love that it, it puts these people in a very morally gray area, yet um, every time you start to like them, they do something that's so terrible that you're like, oh, it's okay to hate people. 
Um, and I'm just sort of wondering, was there any time um, that you guys were like, you know what, maybe that's kind of justified. Maybe that horrible thing isn't so bad after all. I mean, were they really as terrible as Junior was? Well, wait, John, before we before we super deep dive for the listeners who've not read this yet, can we give a little bit of a the setup for the like the, the back of the book sort of description? Uh, we can, it can get very complex. Um, so I was sort of thinking that we would do this as we go along, but yes, let's do this up front. Um, so this, this secret six is a group of morally gray leaning towards morally, uh, corrupt characters who take on mercenary jobs for money. Um, in this case, they are hired to break someone out of prison. Uh, in California and bring them cross country to Gotham City, which is essentially New Jersey, um, and bring them cross country um, uh, and have her pick up something that she stole uh, from um, this character named Junior who lives in a crate and runs the uh, West Coast mob with a um, dial up phone. I think I think that's that's, that's kind of good. That's the setup. That's the yeah. setup. That, and they're that not is like big setup. name characters. These are D list, C list characters, yeah. with the exception of like Bane is really the only one who had any sort of clout on the team. So it's a very hodgepodge ragtag group of supervillains. So to I speak. just like the idea that you said Gotham is basically New Jersey, because in my mind I'm always like, oh, it's like if you took like Manhattan and Chicago and combined them. And I was like, and then, but like the worst parts of each and then combined them. And I was like, that's just New Jersey. Yeah. You're totally well, right. Like the worst parts of both. Like it's South the, Jersey too. Not even like Northern New Jersey, not like Bergen County, not the nice part of Jersey. It's like, yeah, it's, it's reverse Hannah Montana. It's the worst of both worlds. Is. Like, <laughs> but it, he's, he's actually right. I just looked it up. Gotham city is part of Gotham County in New Jersey. Um, in the DC universe, that is the state it actually is in. Yes, as if you doubt, as if I could be doubted. Um, actually, I'm going to backtrack on my first question because I, I want to get to that in a second. Um, now that we sort of went through the the uh, the cast, I want to um, ask Andrea and Josh. Did you guys have any trouble getting into this? It's a weird place to start because it's not their first appearance. Um, these characters already have been together through two miniseries uh, and appearances in Birds of Prey and other books. And so they already have a bit of a history, but it's, I think it's a really good place to start. And to me, it's the best place to start because the other appearances tie into bigger things that are happening in the DC universe. Yeah, I know for me, it was like, so when we did um, the Black Widow one, it was like, I really had to do kind of a deep dive on all of the stuff that they were trying to set up to figure out the backstory that they were going with for her, for that specific uh, issue that we were reading or um, set of issues. Uh, but for this one, it was kind of, um, I really just had to, the context clues that they give you really give them the backstory. Like they do a very good job of feeding off of other things to tell you what's happened in the past between all the characters. Um, like, Savage has a very intense background and a lot of stuff happened with her, I think, in the previous um, the previous set that they were in together, um, including, I think, her girlfriend died. 
Yes. Like the main thing that they really are getting into right away. Um, but they do a very good job of telling you exactly what happened. So like, I didn't ever feel like I was really lost um, most of the time. There was just some stuff that I looked up because it was fun to know. So I felt like it was a very good job too of the, of Gail Simone to kind of push those things in at the right moment so that you knew what was happening. Yeah. And Josh, how about you? Were you lost? Uh, I was lost initially because I'm minorly stupid. And like, whenever I read, I forget that this is a thing in comics because comics are like my least read out of all of the media that I read. Comics are close to the bottom. Sometimes when I read comics, I feel like I'm watching the second season of a TV show with never knowing what the first one was. And like, so I watched, I watched this, I guess, technically I did. I read the, like the first issue and I was like, did I miss like a book? Did I, did I miss, did I miss something? And like, it took me a while. And then I was like, am I sure I got the, cause this one was harder to find for all of us. I was like, did I get the right one? I'm lost. And then like, I think it was like by the second one, I was like, okay, I like, because of the context clues that are given throughout, I'm like, I can, I can piece together what's going on. It's not like a book where, you know, if you hop in the middle, you're just like, uh oh, where, where are we? Especially like, if you read like really heady high fiction, like I unfortunately like to read where if you put it down for a week, uh, you've already forgotten how the, how the world works. Yeah. Um, I think that this does a really good job there one of the conversations and matthew and i have had this discussion before is um there is oftentimes a reticence to pick up a new book uh because people think well there's so much history to this and i don't know what it is it's fine go ahead and pick it up it's just like meeting a new person i would not say to someone i'm sorry i haven't known you since birth so i can't contextually understand you and why you are so that is that's how to, that's to how to read it. a comic book. That's such a good way to put it. It's true though, and it's wow. it's one of those things like from from working at Valiant with you, John. We've we've had that debate and with editorial there a bajillion times, and it's there. And there is the idea of starting in media res, you know, start the middle of a story, and then you piece together as you go along what has led up to this event. Um, I started with this with the, these characters. I did not read the previous miniseries that had come out. So I was like you, Andrea, a bit. I was sort of like figuring out where it is, but there was just enough context. And also it was just so much fun and it's so well paced that I didn't have time to get lost in it and to stop and think, wait, I need to know more about this character to enjoy this moment. It's, it's snappy enough and there are enough like little details to the characters that give you enough knowledge about who they are that what they've just gone through may not be quite as important as you would think. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the the design of the comics that itself too, they did a very good job of characterizing these people, the, mm-hmm. the villains in this one. Um, the design is just amazing. Like they did a very good job of making sure that you're in the moment every second of it so that you don't have time to think about, that's weird that they're talking about Savage's dad. I wonder who he is. Like what's happening with that? Like, why don't they like him to deal with that? So, which is a rabbit hole I went down, but again it's not like you don't need to know it but it was just something that i was interested in so yeah i think they did a very good job of making sure that you stay on track 
I think that's the that's one of the great accomplishments from this series is that every new person I get to read this book and when I was reading this book, they all wanted to know more about the characters after they read it than they had ever known before. Like who ever cared about Catman? Literally no one but Gail Simone. She was the only person that ever cared about Catman. And then after this book, I was like, what are all the other appearances of Catman that I can try and find? What are other Catman stories? And that's a, again, that's a real testament to the storytelling and the characterization. I do. I, I, I agree with that. And I think also, um, one oh, of thank the God, things... I thought you were going to claim you cared about Catman before the series. And I was going to be like, tell me why, but. Um, well, I had read other Catman books before this, but that's a separate story. Um, what I do think is that, um, with the larger comic book companies, mostly Marvel and DC, because they've been around 80, 80, 80 some odd years, is uh, what ends up happening is you have these characters that you can't change. You have Batman, you have Superman, you have Captain America, Iron Man. You know, you can't really do too much with these characters. And I think, uh, unlike Black Widow, which had come out after that we were talking about, um, I don't think there was a whole lot of editorial mandate with this. I think feel like the editorial mandate was just make it fun and enjoyable. And uh, I think that um, you can really tell, quite frankly, because it, it feels like there were things that were in this book where she said, well, where Gail Simone said, well, I just want to do this because I think it's really interesting. And it feels like the editors were like, yeah, go for it. Yeah, and this is this was definitely one of those things where like Gail Simone was not as proven a commodity yet. She was in the middle of her Birds of Prey run, I think, at this point. So she was uh, no, at this point she was off Birds of Prey. She was in her middle of her Wonder Woman run. Oh, she was done with Wonder Woman. Okay, so oh, so I'm wrong. So it was probably that she had this passion project for these characters, and was just like, I'm I'm doing good for you on Wonder Woman. I've got you those sales can I run with these guys for a little while and, and do this like side project there? And they were like, sure. Cause you see that a lot with, with top talent over at DC, you'll see Tom King had, you know, was doing Batman, but then he was also working on Mr. Miracle and like smaller character projects. They give you leeway when you build up that trust, to take on smaller known characters, Let's try something, let's go for it. Yeah. So. Um, so now I do want to circle back to uh, that first question, which is these are some pretty morally reprehensible people on a lot of levels. Mm -hmm. um, and having come off of the episode of Fire in My Heart for April is the Cruelest Month, where there are some pretty truly reprehensible characters in that piece. And twisting. Um, and twisting. twisting, yeah. yeah. And Earth Will Quake. Um, Honestly, Earth Will Quake will come out before this comes out. Uh, or will it? No, no, it'll come out right after this. Right after this. Uh, there are some morally reprehensible characters in there, too. I mean, it's a theme with us. Yeah, it is a theme with us. Um, so, Andrea, you have not been privy to some of these story conversations that Josh and Matthew and I have. Um, and I don't think, uh, well, Black Widow falls in a morally gray area. She pretty much is kind of like, I'm a good guy. Um, and these people don't fall in, in that. Did you have any trouble connecting to them? uh because they're such terrible people oh not at all like almost immediately was i in love with these characters i mean some of them of course are really crappy because someone has to be the, the really bad guy you know in the group of kind of crappy people uh like deadshot of course is just a piece of shit 
like always. I mean, people always just hate him, and he is always played as like the kind of crappy dude. So, um, yeah, I <laughs> that was the funny part about texting Josh. I was like, we were going back and forth about our favorite characters. It was never like, God, these characters suck so hard. It's so hard for me to get into this story because the characters are just so hard to attach to emotionally. Um, that was never a thing. I feel like even the characters they brought in because the thing with this one was that there were so many characters in it and I never felt like that was completely like you were suffocating on the reader either which was awesome that's really hard to do um Mm -hmm. but I felt like every character they brought in was just like so funny and so great and even the villains that were trying to kill the villains it was just like super funny and relatable you know like you just want to be the best you want to the ultimate goal of um because the fact the way of the comic was that they're ultimately all trying to redeem themselves like they're trying to redeem themselves without redeeming themselves which is still something that i find is a ultimately human quality and so i feel like that i have this quandary i've talked to people about this with superman too where it's really hard for people to attach to superman sometimes because he's almost inhuman from how super human he is um because he doesn't really have any sort of vulnerabilities. He doesn't have any, um, doesn't have these things that like make him a person, like a regular person for people that you can attach to him. And like, you can, <laughs> you feel vulnerable. Like he doesn't feel vulnerable to, as a person would. And so I feel like these anti-heroes are coming forward as a thing that people are really attaching with because of that they are just people and they have yeah. their flaws, but they're just trying to be people in the world too. So. Yeah. I think that there, um, it, it brings up to me the idea of there are people in this world who are truly good and there are people in this world who are truly terrible. And there may be like 1% each of the population and the rest of us live in this sort of weird gray area where we try to be really good, but we do terrible things or we, are a really terrible person and we sometimes do really good things. Um, But you actually brought up a point that I kind of wanted to discuss, which was in the email that I sent with sort of the talking points thing, which is this to me is a really, really good argument for atheism. And I know that that's probably not what I was supposed to get out of it. But Josh, do you see where I'm coming from with this one? Oh, do I? Uh, look, here's the thing. Here's, here's my broad, my, my broad thought on this. When you base the entire morality structure uh, of a society on this idea of if you do enough bad things, we have a quota and then we send you to a, a Bernie place downstairs. And that is like your idea of Oh, that's why I shouldn't do bad things. Um, and then you create this idea where like, oh yeah, don't worry, Monopoly style will get you out of there. Uh, it is an entire, like I can totally understand why there is so much insanity in this comic. Like it's just full, like the second the like doors open in this like in the whatever it is, the second, is it the second issue, the third issue? Uh, it's really the, end of the third issue where you begin to go oh that's what it's about um 
Yeah. So actually, yeah. And like, I, I guess the idea of like, yeah, the argument for atheism is like, if you didn't base a, like your moral structure upon this, I, like a religious style punishment, then we wouldn't have had this problem. Like if ever, if there was like a, the majority of people were atheists and they're like, it's a get out of hell free card. They're like, shame, be great if that worked. Yeah. And then now, Matthew, I'm sorry. Um, Matthew, give me one second. I'll be right back to you, Josh. Matthew, um, I know that you're dying to talk about this and I'm sure you probably want to talk about the specific plot point first and then uh, get into my insane thoughts about religion. Um, well, so, the, so basically the, this is the MacGuffin of the whole series, of the whole first arc, right? Is essentially what the person that they're breaking out of a supermax um, supervillain prison has stolen is a literally a get out of hell free card, Monopoly style. Absolutely. The way that yeah. it even says get out of hell. Um, yeah. The devil made one card for one person to be, uh, now I don't, it, it says get out of hell free. It doesn't say you're going to get into heaven. So I don't know what the hell their soul is going to do because, you know, well, the devil know, may let you out, but that scandal, doesn't mean. We know what scandal hopes it will do. Um, but right, but we'll get to that. But yeah, it's you know, and so it's it's a matter of they they have to they have this card. They're supposed to deliver this card to Junior. Again, this is all spoilers, dear listeners. So I hope that you've at this point heard enough that you're like, okay, this is interesting. Let me go read it. Then I'll come back to this part of the episode. But um, but for those of you who are going along with the ride, let's do it because they're traveling in an ice cream truck all the way across the country. Scandal's only allowed one scoop though. Um, we, we'll, we'll get all to that. that. Well, let's... <laughs> but but I, I mean, as far as MacGuffins go, this is a pretty fun one. Like, again, this is sort of just embracing the, you know, kind of the absurdity of the world and absurdity of the situation. It just keeps ramping up and ramping up and ramping it up. Um, so I'm a big fan of this MacGuffin and also, uh, on on some level, as a Batman fan, it's like, oh yes, supervillains are a cowardly and superstitious lot because they're all chasing this card now because <laughs> they all believe there is a hell and they all believe that they can they have done enough to be warranted to go down there and we should all someone needs that card to get the heck out of there. Um, so it's 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 very fun. It's very fun. Do I take it that seriously? But no. But I see where you're coming from in terms of a proponent for atheism on this because of the absolute ridiculousness of the nature and how it sort of pokes fun at the idea of the afterlife. It's like, sure, we can just create a, we can get, create a card to get you out of there. It's like a hall. Well, to me, it's not about poking any kind of finger at the afterlife. It's about saying you're making these earthly decisions about to be a good person or not to be a good person. And then you're kind of assuming, well, if I repent or if I get this card, I'll be free. Whereas I feel like, okay, if you're an atheist, you're making choices based on what is best for the people here on earth, as opposed to saying, I'm only going to be a good person because I'm going to get a reward. I'm only going to be a bad person because it feels good. You're making choices based on what actually is the right thing to do if that makes sense. And I think what solidified it for me was that scene of um, Junior 
going into church and having uh, her henchmen uh, get, you know, get a priest out of bed at gunpoint so that uh, she could do confession instead of, uh, you know, and the priest says, hey, I, I need you to actually feel bad. You can't just, I can't just absolve you. I need you to actually feel bad. That is my um, favorite moment in the entire thing because it's just insane. Like when you watch it, you're just like, oh, hold on. This is, this is why. And then it's just, nope, that didn't work. And then just hard cut to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. She gave it a try though. Junior gave it a try. Yeah. Um, now I do want to, um, there's one thing that I, I want to make sure I touch on um, so that we can, so that people understand why um, I'm recommending this book instead of the, the Suicide Squad is that while I love the original Suicide, Suicide Squad run in the 80s, um, I think the modern one is almost more of an, a, a book that is based on let me do something that's shocky and let me do something that's bad people doing bad things um, for badness sake. Whereas I feel like with this, there's a little more depth to it. There's some more interesting stuff to it. Andrea, did you see the Suicide Squad movie or were you like me and you couldn't make it through? first one i did see the first one um yeah it's something it's something i have only seen it once um i have not rewatched it ever and uh yeah i'm very excited for the next one it looks much better i think they're trying to erase the last one a little bit so that's why it's not the second one it's the it's the suicide squad now but yeah uh that was one where it definitely felt like I could not connect the characters at all. They did a really bad job of making the villains relatable at all. Yeah, I, I feel like these characters are much there. I feel like there's much more depth to them. Um, and uh, we actually, I'll, I'll try to save some room at the end for why I think um, Harley Quinn doesn't always work, um, even though I know she's probably the most popular character on the Suicide Squad, but we'll save that for the very end. Um, so one of the things that I did also want to talk about is um, uh, there's a lot going on with these characters as far as, let's talk about Ragdoll and Ragdoll's odd um, quirkiness and sex appeal and depravity and um, all sorts of kinds of things. Um, it seems as if, uh, there's always this sort of exploration of, um, how do I put this while still sounding kind of classy? There's this exploration of sexuality, of sexual fetishes, of different kinds of things, but they always seem to be done through the bad guys first. Um, why is it? that we can accept bad people doing strange, uh, not strange, doing um, out of the ordinary. Let's go with that for right now until I think of a better phrase. Um, the password is taboo. Yeah, let's, we'll use the word taboo. Why is it that we can accept quote unquote bad people doing taboo things sexually? And I'm talking about things that are done consensually. Um, why do bad guys get to explore their, explore their sexuality and morally great people get to explore their sexuality and 
good people don't. Does anyone ever think of Superman doing something kind of kinky? Yes. Really? Well, only because of that uh, Joe Schuster uh, kink book where he absolutely used uh, Lois and Clark, his models, for, for all the fetish artwork that he did. But that um, makes you think of Superman sexually? It does really? now. Yeah. Okay. I, I absolutely can see him, you know, with a ball gag, you know, asking to be paddled by Lois and she's all for it. And I think that's great. Good for him. I think I'm telling you, I don't think Lois and Clark have a vanilla sex life. I just don't think so. I think she's taking charge there and absolutely like having the time of their lives. But okay. So Matthew imagines Clark and Lois uh, as uh, some uh, BDSM fetishists. And, totally. And you know what? Explore it, girl. Whatever makes you happy. As long as, as long as you have consent and you're safe, you go, girl. But I don't know <laughs> that uh, many other people feel that way. Um, don't get me started on Wonder Woman. I'll go off for an hour about that. About how they purposely drew her to be in uh to be tied up in uh bdsm rope positions with the lasso pretty much anytime she's tied up with the lasso it's in bdsm positions um yeah yeah yes i don't know that that was meant to be sort of as uh obvious as it is to us in the modern era uh dr marston was very much into that he was. I just don't think he meant it to be as obvious as um, we, we look at it now. We, like, we look at it now and we're like, oh, very clearly. Um, Absolutely. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we do get to explore sexuality. Or maybe comics got neutered in the 50s. And But I mean, it was well, good that's, that's, even, if, even if we do explore it, it's very hidden. Like, the thing with, like, the Wonder Woman thing is, like, that's like a couple layers down. Like we see it now, but like you said, it was meant to be hidden. Yeah. Like as a, with as uh, a four-year-old kid in the forties, no one thought of rope play when looking at a Wonder Woman comic. Yeah. That's Where, not... Whereas Ragdoll is uh, very open, explicit. Yeah. There you uh, go. Uh, transparent, in fact. Transparent. Uh, I like trans- that. Yeah. Transparent. Uh, into uh, what they are a fan of, and that's cool. Well, is it is it a bit of a sort of a uh, puritanical look, uh, Puritan sort of look at at sex in terms of, you know, morally good, sex doesn't even exist, um, but you know, morally gray or bad people they're having sex. It's and it's it's a terrible thing. You shouldn't do it, which makes everybody go, "Ooh, they're doing the thing we're not supposed to be doing," and that's that sounds really cool. Yeah. Uh, and so it's sort of like it's cool if you're a bad guy and you're not so not it's cool but it's expected and it's sort of like okay within the bounds of storytelling because they're using that as a judgment point from the audience on some level but it's like yeah i'm look they can kill a lot easier than than the bad guys can than good guys can too you know superman's not really allowed to kill wonder woman killed one dude and never lived it down for the rest of her life, even though she probably had morally justifiable reasons to do it. But, you know, Ragdoll's killing 20 guys in this whole comic and no one bats an eye and goes, oh, it's horrible. It's the end times. So, you know, they get leeway to, to morally gray and morally um, 
not approving characters, sort of. So is this how we exercise our um, kinks and fetishes and violence and anger and bad thoughts? Does that, through entertainment? Through, through bad guys. Uh, do we get to... Um, uh, do we get to experience things without actually doing them ourselves because uh, we love characters like this? I think there's an element of fantasy there. Sure. You know, I think that it, it's a safe, you know, it's a quote unquote safe way to explore, you know, urges that we're maybe not comfortable sharing with a partner or with, you know, friends or out in public yet or what have you, but it's a way of sort of, indulging those fantasies and and expressing them or feeling a connection to them or or maybe inspiring bravery to try one out with a consenting partner like it's you know i'm not but but i'm I'm not andrea you were sort of nodding earlier and i don't know if you were nodding because you agreed with me if you were nodding because you just were following my insane line of thought um but not just sexually is is reading about people doing terrible things cathartic for us is that why we're so interested in and invested in these characters right well it's the idea of the unattainable right like we can't go out and kill people in the street that's illegal we can't steal stuff we can't fight batman we can't do all of those things but bad guys can do it and so it's cool to get to read about them and to see new ones being made that's not why that's why there's not like five of them that we use consistently um so it's yeah, this idea of the unattainable, morally reprehensible person um, in society who does all the bad things, though that is supposed to originally have been somebody that we were to look at and say, you know, these are things that society is not okay with and we shouldn't do these things, um, I believe has turned into more of a thing that, like Matt was saying, Matthew was saying, that we um, were kind of getting a catharsis out of socially, that it's not that they're morally reprehensible or that it's society saying we can't do those things anymore. It's that maybe those are the things that are making these people human and just people that we can relate to, um, but still completely out of the realm of being regular people on the street because they do murder 20 people, you know, a day, or they, they have to get the to get out of hell free card to a person that lives in a chest on the east coast because that's they have to you know whatever it's like these crazy things that are happening but still it's acting out these things that we um society is still telling us that we can't do but it's not really the norm is changing for us for all of us so yeah so josh is this why as um, our characters in large me- in TV, film, even the people who produce music, uh, you know, is this why they've become darker and more morally gray? Because we as a society, we as people relate more to the dark side than we relate more to people who are genuinely good and kind. Is this why we ended up with five different Purge movies? I do, I do, I do love me a good purge movie, but um, <laughs> I do love me a good purge. But um, 
I want to say yes, kind of. So, I mean, like you said, I agree with what you said way back before where you're like, yeah, there's like 1% of people that are like truly bad and 1% of people that are like truly, truly good in like the gray area. Like I would agree with that in general. Um, and I think it's just easier. Like I'm thinking of it more like in a, in terms of like a creator standpoint of like making this sort of entertainment. I mean, you had to have the idea to write it right like when you when you make it so you're like oh i had this thought uh let me make this character and then you're like but you know i had this idea and i kind of like this idea like as a writer you'd be like and i kind of like this idea but i don't want everybody to hate the character and therefore hate this idea that i had so what if i made it a little bit more palpable to people like that's why like in general like in a a lot of movies especially a little bit older but like it's kind of like a 2000s 2010 sort of thing where like your your good guy is a very good looking person and then your villain is unbelievably attractive like it's always like a super pretty person is that because we hate pretty people maybe and like every now like you know it's kind of an old trope where the bad guy is ugly (laughs) where now like people are you know why did they have to make ultron look hot like like why'd you why'd you have to do that you you didn't have to do that that's a that's a whole other but that's like it all kind of <laughs> it all kind of combines into the idea of like there is sort of that like puritan i think like that puritanical thing where we cling on to these like really hardcore like good ideals of like who we want to be and what what we want to do and we have we will reject anything that's not just because it's more of like a trained impulse to like reject the taboo things so if you make characters that you connect with and like sort of like turn the little spoon that you're feeding the people with into an airplane as it goes in um it sort of it makes it more relatable and i think in general like in the general societal reckonings that we're having now anyways people are sort of sliding more into the gray point now so like i think in general yeah sometimes it's easier to like just relate to the bad guy because you're like oh he got a good point like i I get it also it's like the bad guys have more fun well actually follow the rules they're always in such a better mood like always the thing (laughs) good guys always have to follow the rules we have to follow rules every day of our lives we all dream of having the freedom of breaking a rule or two here or there. Bad guys get to do it. And these bad guys are cool when they do it. They look cool doing it. The, the fight scenes with Catman and Deadshot are cool. Ragdoll, when making, you know, these explicit sort of kinky sexual fetish jokes, does it in a very funny way and seems to be having fun while he's doing it. So it's not just what they're doing, it's the attitude in which they're doing it. It's the presentation that makes it seem attractive and sort of like, ah, this would be neat if I could do this, or this feels pretty cathartic. If these were truly horrible, unrelatable characters doing very explicit, horrible things to people like that in a way that was less palatable to Josh's point, would it be cathartic still is my question. Well, actually, um, 
I will answer that in one second. But the question that I had for you, um, genius writer man, is no such thing here. Hush now. Just because you don't agree with me doesn't mean you shouldn't take the compliment. That's um, fair. There you go. Um, so I know that you um, have often talked about wanting to write Batman, but let's say they said, okay, you can either write Batman or you can write The Secret Six. What would you rather do? Uh, I would probably do Batman. You'd probably still do Batman I'm because do of Batman. Batman or because of Batman's Rogues Gallery? Um, that's an excellent question. I, I actually appreciate that question tremendously. Um, mostly because, mm, now you got me thinking about it. I was going to say because of Batman, but now I'm debating like you need the rogues gallery to tell a great Batman story is really the, the, the crux you of it. Do. So um, think about that for one second. Cause I want to bring up a, a point with, uh, I want to bring up something with Andrea, um, uh, which is when we started this conversation, I had mentioned that I, I think that um, Secret Six is a more interesting book than Suicide Squad. One thing that I do want to bring up is in Birds of Prey, Harley Quinn was very briefly a member of the Secret Six uh, in a Birds of Prey run. And I think it worked really, really well because um, in the writing, Gail Simone didn't kind of tie her to Joker in any way, shape, or form. And I think that uh, very often um, Harley Quinn is not written well because of that, um, because she comes, it's a very abusive background, um, and it's hard to kind of bring those two things. Um, all of these characters in The Secret Six come from really kind of tragic and horrible backgrounds in many ways, but it doesn't feel as exploitative to me. Am I correct in that? Am I, am, is the cheese standing alone? Yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, I think that um, people often talk about when you're using trauma to write a character, it can either, there's a fine line you're walking of either making trauma a plot point where it's like, you're really just using that to take advantage of trauma rather than building the character with that. Um, and I do think that the Harley Quinn, that's a big one that they do that for quite often. Um, and I've rarely seen her done well where she's like, she just stands on her own and she can kind of, she can be a character that recovers from trauma. Um, I can talk endlessly about the Harley Quinn animated series. I feel like they really did a good job with that and actually like showing the recovery process of coming from trauma and coming from a, um, an a, an abusive relationship and how that happens for people. Um, however, I think that the secret six did a very good job of making sure that the trauma they were talking about, especially for a scandal who was coming from, you know, her girlfriend had just been murdered, um, that they did that in a way that they, it didn't take away from the plot. It didn't take away from what was happening around them because it was often while they were fighting. Um, and it didn't take away from her as a person. It just, it added, it was adding to her character and adding to her background and making her stronger by the end of it. She was really growing through the process and grieving. And um, I think they did a very good job of building these characters off of the things that have happened to them. And Ragdoll had trauma actively happen to him in the comics. Like he was actively finding out stuff about 
his family passed that he didn't know about. And so I think that was very, they did a very good job of making sure that that was, that flowed extremely well. Yeah. Um, all right, Matthew, now that you've had a minute to think about that while Andrea and I were expositing, I don't think that's the right word for it. Um, what's, what's your, what's your thought process? Batman for Batman's sake or Batman for the rogues gallery sake? Yeah, probably Batman for the rogue gallery sake. Just uh, honestly, my actual dream book is probably to write a two-faced book or a scarecrow story. That's probably where really where my true passion lies. Um, because to your point earlier, John, usually with Marvel and DC, you're only allowed to tweak the actual characters and have so much development for the big iconic ones that are the big brands that drive the money. Whereas you can have more substantial status quo changes um, from a character evolutionary standpoint with side characters, supporting characters and what have you. So really it's, it's all about the, the side characters in Batman's world that I would really get. Actually a, an Alfred story would be awesome. I would kill the, to write a really good, Alfred story. An uh, Alfred and Two-Face story. Works for me, man. Works for go. me. There I'm all um, Now, uh, so Josh, um, let me throw this one to you. Do you think this is a series that you'd want to continue with? Yes. Okay. Just so you know, the Get Out of Hell Free card comes back in a very unexpected way uh, at a time when I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that to happen then and i wasn't expecting that to happen yeah i would definitely yeah especially after like the ending like the last two issues uh yeah i'm, I'm in yeah good um there's a yeah there's a whole lot that goes in there um and andrea i, I want to touch on what you were saying um the other thing that i loved about scandal um was that there was not kind of a neon sign over her head that said queer character queer character it was just sort of who she was and uh was kind of accepted and yet mocked but not in a mean-spirited way in the same way that they would have all made fun of each other because they were all such terrible horrible people totally they accepted her they didn't tokenize her or anything it was awesome to see that yeah they were actively trying to help her grieve which was so great to see yeah um, if you continue with the following issue after this, you will actually see a double date uh, between Scandal and Liana, the stripper, um, and Bloodshot, not Bloodshot, <laughs> Deadshot, sorry, work crept in there, Deadshot and Jeanette. I did read uh, because I couldn't stop reading these ones, so I did. Oh, you did? Okay. Are you going to continue all the way to the end of the series? I'm not sure. I like I couldn't put it down though. Josh and I were texting. I was like, I'm already on the next one. I couldn't stop. I had to. <laughs> so go with that feeling, Andrea. Go with that feeling. It's so good. Yes. Well, um, Andrew, what was your favorite moment of of this storyline? Because Josh talked about his being the confession. What about you? Did you have a favorite scene or moment from from this first story? I'm trying to think pretty much any scene with Bane I thought he was so funny in this one like the way that they played him as being like this the himbo of all himbos was everything to me and um I'd die for him I'd protect him with my life I love him um so that was really great I thought yeah the way him and um Scandal right they have like the really great relationship that was so cute so yeah I thought that was really great it only gets better 
yeah. only gets that father-daughter bond yeah. that they they're building it only gets better the ice cream bit is just so funny just like you you can have one scoop the dinner scene at Jeanette's was really cool too I thought that was a really great scene so yeah Matthew what was your favorite um uh, that's hard uh honestly the the funniest moment for me that always just gets me cracked up is um uh king shark when they are when the bad guys have our our team of ragtag mercenaries trapped they burst through the door in the casino and they immediately go take out the shark and he goes wait what um that is that that moment always stands out it gets me every time king shark is a big favorite in my household i'm pretty sure lauren would trade me for king shark in a heartbeat because he's a shark shark um so so that one always stands out there you go well actually king shark made the suicide squad movie because mm-hmm. of what gail simone did with him and oh, she's squad. so excited she's so excited um yeah, I want to. I think mine were probably the Jeanette's history um, and any time with the Mad Hatter because I love uh, being reminded how um, dangerous villains, uh, especially ones who were sort of uh, looked down as silly, can actually be. Yeah. Um, Not okay. a lot of great Mad Hatter stories in the world. There's, real, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity for that character. Yes, absolutely. Um, had you did you read the the first miniseries that Gail Simone and Brad Walker did, where Matt Hatter, yeah, was actually a part? Yeah, of- I I went back and I reread I, okay. I read them all, and yeah, it was it was good. They, they had yeah. a really good handle on the character. So. Yeah, I I just wanted to make sure. Just wanted to make sure. Um, so uh, let's do a very very quick history lesson. Secret Six actually started in 1968. Uh, and ran for seven issues um, with completely brand new characters, no villains, and it was uh, very different. And Gail Simone reworked it when she uh, launched Villains United. Um, Even though we didn't really talk about it, Suicide Squad first came out in 1959 um, and had a very short run as well. Um, And again, I'm not shading Suicide Squad in any way. Uh, I just think if you're looking for a really wonderful series about morally ambiguous characters, um, I think the four of us are united in our love for the Secret Six. Um, now we just need two more people who are kind of terrible um, to join the four of us. I, I will sublist the name. I will submit okay. a list of names for you, yes. Excellent. I am glad to hear that. Um, so uh, as per usual, Andrea, thank you so much for joining us on Comics Corner. Of course. Thank you again for having me. I'm so happy to be here anytime you guys want me. Of course. We love having you, Josh. Thank you. Because you're always in the background, but I always feel like... I'm always here. Always listening. Always listening. I would sing uh, a bunch of the police riffs, but uh, I feel like I don't want to get copyright struck. That's probably good. Um, I Maybe we should just start calling you Oracle. Because you're always here. Ooh, uh, I like this. There we go. We'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that eventually. Someone I will recommend Birds of Prey to, because um, I think it's one of the books that I almost always recommend, and nobody has picked yet. Um, and Matthew, thank you for joining us. 
Oh, it's always my pleasure. And I'm so excited for, for us, not just on this, but we, I'm very excited for you, Mr. Petrie, because we have an incredible episode of April is the Cruelest Month coming up. It's going to be next week called The Earth Will Quake. Is there anything you want to tell our, our wonderful listeners about what they can expect? Um, I, I would expect the most people in one episode who die. It's true. Um, is that the highest death tell, you think? It, it does have well, the in, yeah. in the episode itself. In yeah, the, yeah, in yeah, the no, episode. Yeah, definitely the highest casualty. Yeah. 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 Um, but I'm very excited about it. Um, the, uh, you know, getting to sit down on the table read was amazing. The actors were wonderful. Um, and I can't wait to hear, um, as I handed Josh a stage direction that said, uh, the earthquake happens. It lasts this long. Feel free to kill this person off before that person. However you want to do it. I don't care. So, <laughs> um, so best uh, best stage direction ever. Yeah. I was there we just, go. Uh, I was just mixing that today. It's nice. It's enjoyable. <laughs> I cannot wait for the quake of the of the said title to happen. It, it's uh, it's it's loud. Prepare your ears. I have to. I had to mix the entire episode around the quake. Like the quake is like set for the calib like to calibrate how loud things get it's good okay um so uh again today we talked about the secret six by gail simone nicholas scott and doug hazelwood um go into your local comic book shop uh if you're not sure where that is google it or go to comicshoplocator.com enter your zip code and you will find one there please support your local comic book stores um you have no idea how much your purchase means to them um in the meantime everybody stay safe uh be careful out there and uh thank you for joining us on this week's comics corner